0: Hi, and welcome to On The Road. I am your host, Rick Courier. This is the podcast where you get to join me for coffee and cocktails with tech partner marketers. Together, we'll learn from their experience and have a little fun. In today's episode, I traveled to Boston to meet with Ani Hagopian, Senior Partner Marketing Manager at Microsoft. I had a blast talking with Ani. We chatted about the differences working in large partner marketing orgs versus small ones. We also talked about what to watch out for when making that leap into partner marketing, the pitfalls and the opportunities. What I love most though, was learning her secret to being a great partner marketer. As always, make sure to leave me a review or send me feedback or questions to rick at foundryco.com. And make sure to subscribe as on my next episode, I have CIO and market expert, John Gallant. Cheers, and I'll see you on the road. Ani, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Rick. It's great to be here.
0: It's funny. It just seemed like the other week. I guess it wasn't that long ago, but we were at dinner, and I was telling you about the show, and you're like, I want to be on, and here you are.
1: Here I am. Thank you for this amazing opportunity. I've been looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, well, I got to give you credit, and there's a couple guests I've had on so far. We haven't even launched yet. We're launching in a couple weeks, and trying to tell someone about something that doesn't exist yet, and you know, for you all to take the risk to come on the show before we launch, like it actually means a lot to me, and I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. Yeah, yeah. it's it's an exciting opportunity to be able to have this fun conversation with you today, and hopefully um, the viewers will be able to take away something positive and worthwhile for themselves.
0: I so. hope so, and I, I'm so looking forward to it. I know we're going to have some fun. We're starting with margaritas. Yes. So you know it's going to be fun. Yes. And I got to give you credit. So I've, I've done, this is my fifth recording. I think you're going to be number three um, in, the, in the lineup. And you're the first guest to actually bring the drinks to the show. Listen, so. I'm
1: very particular. <laughs> I like certain things certain ways. Well, so.
0: <laughs> cheers, cheers to you cheers for, to for you. bringing drinks. I really appreciate <laughs> it. Yes. Uh, these are wonderful margaritas. So hopefully I'm not slurring my speech by the end of the show. <laughs> so I, w- I want to get into your background because I thought that was fascinating when I first met you. But first, you know, why don't you just tell everybody what you do?
1: So um, today I work for Microsoft as a partner marketing manager. So I've been with Microsoft for um, going on eight years now um, in the partner marketing capacity. And before I even joined Microsoft, I worked in alliances marketing. So I've probably been in it for like, I'd say 10 years now, but prior to that was in a direct to customer marketing role. Hmm. Um, and so it's been kind of a, a journey for me because I was kind of born into tech marketing, right? Um, I've been doing it for close to like 20 years now. Wow. So kind of the first part of my career was doing to customer marketing, more kind yeah. of like MarCom. Uh, demand gen, uh, and then kind of the second part of my career has been really focused on alliance and partner marketing. That's awesome. Which and has you, been great.
0: Yeah, and you know, this show is obviously more tailored towards partner marketers. That's certainly who I have on the show, but I think, mm-hmm. you know, anybody with a tech marketing background can take something from the show. Cause oh, totally. a lot of people like like yourself have not just been doing partner marketing their whole career. They've been doing a lot of other things yeah. too. Yeah. So, all right, I, I have like so many questions about <laughs> Microsoft and your other career. But first, your background, because when I first met you, I was like, I, I didn't even know how to say your name. And, and we, you know, we had to ask at dinner, and I just thought it was the most exotic name. And you're like, no, it's like the John Smith where I come from. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and there's Ani DeFranco, too.
0: That's right. A lot of people who yep. hear
1: my name say, oh, Ani DeFranco. So I get that a lot. But, yes, um, it is an Armenian name. And it actually is, um, was the ancient, ancient capital city of Armenia uh, huh. thousands of years ago. And it was the city of a thousand churches. Oh, so, interesting. Yes. And so Ani is a very popular um, women's name mm-hmm. in, in Armenia. And yes, if you ever go to Armenia and you say Ani Hagopian, you're basically saying Ann Johnson, right? <laughs> <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of Anis out there. So uh, yeah, it's, and, and funny enough people will mispronounce my name. I usually get, you know, Annie or mm-hmm. some version of it, but it's just short and sweet and it's three letters long. Yeah. So. I'm
0: not going to lie. I was thinking Annie and I'm like, but that can't be right. So I have to ask. And, <laughs> and I'm, te- you know, I'm in sales and people think, oh, I'm in sales. I'm good with names, good with faces. I'm terrible at it. Aww. So bad. So I had to ask. And and then I had to ask again, as you came in today, how do you say your last name for the intro? And yep. I, I I hope I don't, Mix it up or mess it up. We'll, no, we'll see. You, you did great. <laughs> you did.
1: You did awesome. You're doing awesome. No worries there.
0: Awesome. So, were you born in Armenia? Were you born here? What?
1: So, actually, I was born. Uh, I was the first American in my family.
0: Okay.
1: So, my parents immigrated um, in the early 1980s, um, and then had me. <laughs> now I'm giving away my age a little bit. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's it's been. Uh, It's been an interesting experience, right? Being raised in an immigrant family, Mm -hmm. having that experience, and it's been a blessing in so many ways. Um, It's really molded who I am today in the most positive way. Um, You know, I saw my parents come to this country with little to nothing in their pocket and be able to provide an incredible life for my sister and I. Um, You know, put us through college, right? And I think just even the mere fact that I've made it so far in my career and where I am today, right, is a testament to the incredible upbringing my parents gave me. Hmm. Um, A lot of the drive You know, my father um, especially was always very, very supportive of really making sure that I was an independent woman, Mm -hmm. you know, um, career driven, just not scared to take risks and get out there and make it happen for myself. And so, um, you know, they've both instilled incredible values in me for sure. That's wonderful. taught me a lot. Yeah.
0: You know, it's, you know, driven, risk taking, family. I imagine all those things have come into play in terms of your career and where you've gotten today.
1: Yes, certainly.
0: How, how is it specifically <clears throat> having an impact on the partner marketing side?
1: Well, that's a really interesting question. I So I think for me, um, and I think this is just in my nature of who I am. I'm a people person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a lot of fulfillment I get from helping others in its most simple way that I can say it, right? Um, and I think partner marketing is such a type of a role, and I've seen this happen where A lot of people that don't understand the nuances of alliance and partner marketing, they just assume it's marketing. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of, uh, I think, talent, some personality traits, some experience, right? It's kind of a soup of these things that come into play that I think really make a strong partner marketer. And a lot of that has to do with being, I think, emotionally intelligent, right? And being able to be in tune to others because you're in a role where you're building relationships. Yes, you are doing marketing. You are bringing your marketing experience to the table. Absolutely no question. But you're also a bridge. Yeah. You're working with a completely different entity, right? Outside of your own company. And you have to win over the hearts and minds, right, of those people that you work with because you need to partner with them to drive joint success. And so um, being able to listen, to empathize, to understand, to hear, right, are really important qualities. And to be able to understand how you, how do you bring people together? Yeah. How do we all come into a, into a common goal together and drive that unified strategy? So, um, you know, I think... And maybe it's not so much my culture, although Armenians do tend to be loud, and we like to gather in large numbers and party and have a great time. (laughs) So maybe, maybe that has a piece to it. But um, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to your character, right? I mean, there's certain people that are like, you know, you want to be a programmer, right? You know, if you're uh, maybe alliance marketing is not for you, right? Like if you, you know, you want to be able to again. Enjoy building relationships, have a knack for it, right? Making those connections are so important.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've seen it because, uh, you know, not necessarily through your eyes, but just the complexity of, you know, when we're, we do a lot of partner marketing programs here at Foundry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're working with two different marketing organizations to get a deal done. Yeah. It's two, it can be two procurement processes, you know, two marketing processes, two different markets. Totally, yes. Two two different political systems, right? Like, (laughs) it's a lot to navigate. It is. And, you know, if, if you have the right connections, the right relationships, and that's with anything. I mean, even internally, I tell my reps, like, you need to build internal customers because they're going to help you navigate the internal challenges
1: exactly. everyone faces, right? Totally.
0: Yeah, very interesting. All right, so how did you make your first jump into partner marketing? Because it sounds like you didn't start in partner marketing.
1: I didn't. So crazy enough, I had been um, doing a Marcom role and just like anything right your network is just you got to keep up with your network and have a strong network and so what ended up happening is i was really unhappy in that role mm-hmm. that that i was in and i said you know what like i got to get out of here and so i just started working my network and found out that somebody i'd previously worked with um had joined this uh startup hmm. and they were looking for a, you know a partner marketing role and the cool thing about startups right is because you know, they're willing to hire a little bit of the more unexperienced, right? They're looking for the go-getters, they're looking for the, hey, can we bring this person in? Are they, you know, yeah. are they gonna fit into our culture? Are they a go-getter? And so even though I didn't have that partner marketing experience, I had the connection, who vouched for me, but, you then, but then again, you know, they did take a risk, right? Yeah. And saying, hey, we're gonna bring her in because she has solid marketing background, but we feel like you know she's gonna do well around this partner marketing stuff. So that kind of was my jump into it and I really haven't looked back <laughs> since and that was 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
1: and it's been an interesting ride because in my career of partner marketing, I've worked for the startup, right? Where I had to build the channel strategy from the ground up, working hand in hand with sometimes they're called partner account managers, partner development managers, right? but really lock and step, right, with that role mm-hmm. um, in building out campaigns, programs, all sorts of really cool stuff. Um, you know, that kind of segued into Microsoft because that partner was part of the Microsoft ecosystem. Yeah. And back then, I mean, I remember I, I was the lead um, event organizer for what was called the Worldwide Partner Conference, which is now Inspire. Okay. Right? Yeah. It's Inspire. And I just remember my first um, Microsoft partner conference, and I said, you know what? I'd love to work for Microsoft one day. <laughs> I just, it's like, you know, it's, it's endless partner, right? I mean, it's like, it is the...
0: How many years was that before you actually started at Microsoft?
1: How, oh, that was in 2015. Okay. Yeah, 2015.
0: So, I mean, you basically plotted your course and ended yeah. up at Microsoft. It was
1: the North Star for me. That's I was amazing. like, I'm going to make it to Microsoft one day. Yeah. And I did.
0: So oh, that's great. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So, what advice do you have for somebody that maybe want to break into partner marketing? They're not there yet, they're looking for a partner marketing job. Mm. You've worked at a couple different organizations. Like, what are some pitfalls they should look out for? And, you know, what are some opportunities?
1: Yeah. Well, I would definitely say, um, when you're interviewing for an alliance role, you really got to ask the questions around has the organization already done today to build their alliances? Like mm. really understand what stage and maturity their alliance strategy is at. Okay. Because here's the thing, right? A lot, of, a lot of the time, sometimes people can pull the trigger too quickly in pulling and marketing, hmm. right? If you don't have a sound strategy, Right. If you haven't built a foundation on your just your general alliances, like, yeah, you know, you've gotten commitment from leadership. You know, you have these actual formal alliances that have been formed. Um, you know, you're getting your sales teams to buy into the strategy. Right. Like you need that foundation there before you bring in partner marketing. Right. Because what is partner marketing going to do? We're going to surround that strategy. Right. We're going to want to ask the questions of, well, what are you trying to achieve with this alliance? You know?
0: So it sounds like there's what, some organizations out there that bring people in a little too Too early, yeah.
1: <laughs> so you really want to ask yeah. the questions around their alliance strategy, right? How, how big is the team, right? How experienced are the people that are on the alliance's team? You know, really get a grasp on that because you don't want to step in too early.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But
1: again, everyone has their flavor of choice, right? Some people may not mind that. Um, but it, it could be, you know, more than you could bargain for, right? If you do step in too early as a marketer.
0: Yeah. You know, I, not that I see a lot of organizations hiring too prematurely, but I do know, like I could see it being possible because, you know, the last 10 years I've been doing the partner marketing stuff, been, mm-hmm. been in B2B longer than that. But, you know, it used to be on the fringe and now it's it, it's more mainstream now, right? Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of organizations being like, oh, we should be doing this. Mm-hmm. But that's a good point. Like, make sure they have the foundation set up before you jump in, because otherwise you're probably set up to fail.
1: Totally. Yeah. And I'd also ask questions around the maturity of their actual central marketing organization as well. Hmm. So keep in mind, right? We say alliance marketing, but an alliance marketer doesn't have a dedicated marketing team behind them. Right. They sit in the alliance's organization. They're not... They may be a dotted line into central in, in, yep. into the central marketing work. But you know, again, if if the marketing function within the company also isn't mature, let's hmm. say they only have one or two people or again, I'm just throwing some examples out here, right? Yeah. That's also something to take a look at. Because part of what's gonna drive your success is being able to leverage that work, right? Makes Put sense. the partner yep. lens on that work of whatever the marketing organization is producing. Um Cause that's just very important. And then also budget too. Hmm. Ask the questions. Hey, am I going to have a budget? <laughs> yeah. Because newsflash, if you don't have money, it's really hard to do marketing. Yep. <laughs> right? so, so yeah, that's an important point to ask, right? Is you know, is there gonna be funding available, right? What's my budget gonna be like?
0: And and have you in your past, have you worked really hard at at getting those good relationships with the central marketing team and building that connection to oh, leverage that?
1: Absolutely. That, and the reason why I ask is yeah. I, I often
0: hear, they don't understand what we do.
1: Well, again, part of taking on an alliance marketing role is education, yeah. right? It is, you are an advocate. Just as much as you're a marketer, you're an advocate for your partner. Yeah, It's a huge part of it. And when you take hyperscalers like Microsoft and AWS and these other large behemoth companies who are partnering with, GSIs and advisories. These are companies that are equal in size or greater, right? So now you have these two massive companies, right? So first as an alliance marketer in that situation, you have to, first of all, know who your people are. Mm -hmm. Understand the inner workings of your own organization. And then you bring in the complexity of the partner, right? But where the real amazing opportunities do come in is like what you just said is that if I can tap into the central marketing organization of my own company, let's say for example, my partner, the partner marketer comes to me and says, hey, I wanna do a healthcare campaign, right? Our strategy dictates that we need to focus on healthcare. I wanna bring in the industry healthcare marketer on my side of the house. Yeah. And I want the partner marketer I'm working with to bring in their healthcare person, right? And that's where a lot of magic starts to happen, hmm. right? Because then you become again that advocate, that connector where you're stepping outside of the alliance's world and you're really bringing in incredible value, right, with making these connections. So I've seen all sorts of incredible campaigns come to life just through that, you know, and building those connections. Yeah. So is that,
0: so going back to maybe someone who's looking to jump into this space, mm. um, your biggest advice for them if they're in a brand new, maybe not new to tech marketing, but brand new to partner marketing is, just building those connections, both in the partner ecosystem and internally. Totally. Would you say that's your biggest advice? Yeah, from, yeah. You know? I would
1: say absolutely start there. And um, another thing that I would say is really important is build trust.
0: Hmm.
1: Build trust with with the partner marketing, your, marketer you're working with. Build trust with your partner team. Yeah. Right? It's, it, it's so important is that there's a fine balance of, you know, your organization is going to tell you things or ask you to do things, right? Go to the partner and pitch in this program. Go to the partner and, you know, offer this to them and X, Y, Z, right? But again, you, you're that filter. You know your partner. You know their business. Yeah. How, do you, how do you build trust, right? Hey, listen, this came across. I looked at it. I think it might be a good fit. Let's talk about this, though right? There's an approach to doing these things. Um, and sometimes there's been stuff that's come across where I've just flat out said, you know what, this is not going to be a fit for my partner. Great program, but here's what I would recommend if you want to land this with a GSI, or if you want to land this with a certain type of partner, you probably need to make some of these tweaks. Hmm. So um, yeah, it's definitely uh, a...
0: Was it, was it was it hard in the covid you know, experience building trust, building connections in this virtual environment. Oh, like what was that like? Now was where my mind is going. you're saying, because in my experience, I, it's always been in person that's helped accelerate it. Now that's not possible. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's, but
0: it's it's been harder. It has. Yeah.
1: And I I can definitely say that it is a missing piece. I'm starting to see things open up slowly. Yeah. Which is really promising. Just in general, partners are doing more events now. I'm just seeing, like, a lot of more in-person stuff happen. But there, there's nothing that replaces the human-to-human, like, in-person experience, yeah. right? And what that really brings in building that trust and connection for sure. It has been hard, um, you know, but kind of lucky for me, I, you know, because I've been in roles so long, I have so many established relationships that... Yeah. You know, it's kind of more like, "Hey, I miss you. I haven't seen you in a while, yeah. right?" Um, sure, have I been served up some new partners? Yes, but I also feel like we've all we've all kind of built this immunity at this point, right? <laughs> or we just gotten used to this new world yeah. of, of working remote. But yeah,
0: yeah. Um, you know, we've been struggling with it a lot on the sales side because we we had a lot of reps that did really well during COVID, but we also know a lot of event budgets went digital. Mm -hmm. So there was kind of that windfall there. And now that the world's opening back up, we're trying to push people back out. They're like, whoa, I don't really need to go to my client's office to be successful. like, yeah, you do long-term. Totally. You know, because I'm a big believer in that, you know, it's not that you, not that you have to be on the road every week, you know, like I do in my, you know, but, um, you have to have some sort of Mm FaceTime, depending on your role and what it is. But if you're in a, a strategic seller, or you're managing strategic partnerships, mm-hmm. there's gotta be some sort of face-to-face component there at some point. hmm so, agree. And I'm sure someone could debate me on that and I'd be open to that. <laughs> I wanna hit the pause button to ask if you received your latest customer engagement research from Foundry, home of global editorial brands like CIO.com. Did you know that 87% of tech decision makers say that it's challenging to find high quality content when looking to make a tech purchase? Customer engagement is actually one of my favorite tech reports as it dives into the content consumption habits of tech decision makers, and it helps marketers understand the challenges and opportunities when marketing to tech buyers. The report goes into detail on how content's being consumed to help make purchase decisions, and how those consumption habits change based on the buying persona and where people are in the purchase process. Learn how to drive greater results through your marketing activities through the insights of Foundry's Customer Engagement Study. Get your free copy of Foundry's Customer Engagement Study by heading over to foundryco.com slash ontheroad. That's foundryco, F-O-U-N-D-R-Y-C-O.com forward slash ontheroad. And don't forget, if you want to support the show, subscribe to our new YouTube channel or give us a rating, like, or even a comment on your favorite podcast platform. Cheers. All right. So fast forward, you're now at Microsoft. Mm. You're, uh, I have my notes here, a gold club winner. Yes. So I, I don't know what that means, but I take it to mean you're doing well. <laughs> I'd love to hear more about that.
1: Yeah. So um, I was awarded that for work with a particular GSI that I had been with for, I think, I want to say four years at that point. Um, and really had driven um, a lot of just great results, right? Through number of campaigns, um, sales qualified leads, um, MDF consumption. Mm-hmm. So had just really built that partnership Um to a place of excellence, really, even the rhythm of business and everything. I was running around marketing with with them. Um, So I got really great recognition with being selected for Gold Club and was very, very honored.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Was it, you know, how did you show success in that role? Because I know tracking ROI, and you don't have to divulge any Microsoft secrets here, but tracking ROI can be really hard on the partner side because a lot of times you're you're throwing stuff over the fence and Mm -hmm. hope that you're getting reporting back, and you don't always do that
1: yeah. so part of um, what I established was that really strict rhythm of business with a partner. Um, and some of those uh, stats were partner reported, right? Mm-hmm. So we obviously have our own tools and systems yeah. which produce results. But we also want to reflect what the partner's showing as well, okay. right? So in that rhythm of business, you know we have basically for a lack of a better way of putting it, it's a template. Right, um, that we pull up when we talk about, you know, the results of that campaign. Um, and what's really great about this template that I'm talking about is it really walks through the marketing strategy from start to finish. And there's a whole section around outcomes, right? And help needed. And so. Uh, there was just a vigor around that process. And so that really enabled me to not only pull in, right, what I was seeing internally through our dashboards, but then also record the partner impact, mm-hmm. right, in their, from their view and from their lens. Um, and again, the advocate, the, adv- the advocate piece becomes really important here because that information is dispersed throughout the, you know, when we when we have our own internal rhythm of business meetings, right? Yeah. When my management's asking for, hey, we want results around this sales play or, you know, how did X campaign perform? All of that's ready and packaged, right? Because, hey, I'm working with my partner, I'm meeting with them regularly, so I have it readily available. Hmm. So it was easy to surface to the business, the impact of the partner, and yeah. really kind of scream from the rooftops, right? Like, look how amazing my partner is and what they're working on. And
0: But I imagine having a good relationship makes it a little easier probably to get that information back from the partner. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. We're going full circle here.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. And that's where you hit the nail on the head, right, is that there's trust and there's value. Yeah. Your partner, you know, when you have to ask them to do things, right, there's an individual there, right, that has a million other things on their to-do list, yeah, You know, sure, they're in alliance marketing and they're dedicated to the Microsoft partnership and all of that. But they have their own internal, you know, agendas and things that they also have to fulfill. So when you're making these asks, that person should feel, you know what, I'm doing this because I'm also getting value back. Yeah, yeah. And that's really important as a partner marketer. It's not always clear. And what I mean by that is you have to get creative You have to get creative and figure out, and this is where the go-getter piece comes in. This is where thinking outside the box comes in, is you got to go and figure it out. Yeah. You (laughs) got to go and figure it out. I don't care if it's going to the central marketing organization and figuring out who you need to pull in, right? I don't care if it's figuring out where you need to find more money to fund some really amazing campaign that the partner pitched you, right? Maybe it's Figuring out target lists. Maybe it's figuring out how you're going to promote your partner's event to your selling organization, but you got to figure it out. Yeah. And it's not always a clear charted path, right? In doing that. So that value, and for me, I, I really, that's a standard for me that I set for myself. When I get on a call with a partner, I want to have answers for them. And if I don't, I'm going to go find them.
0: It's a shame you're not in sales, because I might try to hire you right now. You think so? so? <laughs> well, I mean, you, you you're a your go-getter, I, you figure it out. And, you know. I've,
1: been, I've been told, I actually have been told that I should be in tech sales, but like, I don't know, there's something about that number hanging over my head that oh, just it, went. <laughs> it,
0: it never goes away.
1: <laughs> right?
0: Oh, it never goes away. Yeah. Um, all right, there, there's a couple things I want to dig in there. Uh, you know, going back to what you are saying about the relationship and, and delivering the value to get something in return, couldn't agree more. And I think the flip side of that also is when you have that strong relationship, they also kind of want to see you succeed, you know, and, and you can't be a good partner unless you want them to succeed. And that, that goes both ways. Totally. But, but I've just seen so many times in my career, in my life, working with partners and customers, if I have that relationship, like they they genuinely want me to do well. Right. And if I need the data to, to do well, like they'll find a way to help me. And, yeah. And that goes both ways. And that goes back to what you were saying, giving them the value, right, to do well. Too. Exactly. It's a two-way street. It really is. So I love the template uh, approach, though, because we we did a study two years ago. We found that partner marketing organizations that had a documented strategy in place mm-hmm. and just documented all sorts of things, just you know, from our, our mission statement to how we market to reporting. They they found much. I can't remember the stat, but at least I think it was at least ten points higher return on investment than their partner marketing programs. I believe it. You know, and and, and they. It makes sense, right? You're documenting how we're going to go to market. We're documenting our our programs, how we're going to report on this. makes more sense internally, too. And this goes back to the Central Marketing Org, educating and sharing them on what you're doing and how you're reporting success. When you can document that, everything's just more successful. Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, You know, one thing I wanted to ask is, you know, not specific to Microsoft, but maybe just larger organizations. What are some of the challenges there? Because I think every everybody was like, "Oh, I wish I could work at a Microsoft or you know, uh, Google or Salesforce." There's got to be some sort of challenges with a large organization. Oh, well, there are. What did yeah? <laughs> what, have, what have you experienced about airing the dirty laundry?
1: Well, to put it in its simplest form, they're really big. Yeah. They're complex.
0: A lot to navigate.
1: It's a lot to navigate. It's a lot of. And, you know, figuring out who does what and why they do it and why they would care to work with you.
0: Even internally.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because keep in mind, right, you're still dealing with people that maybe have never worked with an alliance before. Um, or, you know, it's just, again, they're kind of focused in their own world and they're not kind of looking this way. Because here's the thing. Partner always adds value. Mm-hmm. Always adds tremendous value to your business. And sometimes, you know, when you're kind of like heads down, you're only looking this way, you know, you forget to be like, oh, well, I could pull in this partner and I could, you know, pull in Ani and some of her partners to do X, Y, and Z. And so, um, so you know, I think, I think it's the navigation. You got to know who's who, who to go to for what. And when, the bigger the company, the harder it is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also just a lot of complexity just because of the number of offerings and solutions we have right just brings a whole other layer of complexity Big portfolio. you know what yeah. yeah and and the partner also right the partner you're working yeah. with so so you know in the partner marketing capacity you're going across all industries you're going across all solutions and sales plays you're the front line the marketing like you know you're the marketing front line they're yeah. coming to you first hey ani i you know I want to sponsor an NRF. Like, what's Microsoft doing at NRF? I want to go to HIMSS. Um, hey, I want to, I don't know, I want to launch an industry campaign, and, you know, we need an industry SME to speak on this, you know, webinar that we're doing. So you're, you're, you're coming, they're coming at you at all angles. Now, in the history of my career as a partner marketer, I've seen all shapes and sizes and flavors of how the partner marketing role can be organized, if you will. Yeah. Um, and I think you were going to get to this question. So maybe I should let you ask oh, it.
0: You, let's keep going. <laughs> you go for okay. it.
1: Um, so in my point of view, right, if you asked me in my career, what has been kind of the best experience for you as a partner marketer, in the way that your role has been organized, right?
0: Because you've seen a couple of different organizations I have, over I, probably, probably the same organization change one or two times. Oh,
1: or more than that, yeah. right? <laughs> um, you know, I've seen partner marketing organized by geography. Mm-hmm. So let's say it's like you're aligned to New England and you're aligned to a subset of partners that have business in that region. Yeah. I've seen it aligned by sales play. Right? So then let's say if it's, you know, you're aligned to cloud analytics, right? Then it's like, all right, now you're working with all the partners that are specialized in the sales play, you know, across maybe one region or maybe multiple regions. And then I've also seen the role organized by partner type. Hmm. Right? So ISV channels, SI. Yeah. But the best experience for me has been um, being able to have a dedicated partner portfolio. Hmm. So what that means is that I'm aligned to a partner type, right? And in that portfolio, let's say, maybe there's, argument's sake, I don't know, there's 50 partners, right? Mm -hmm. I manage five out of the 50, right? And I am their one-stop shop.
0: Full portfolio.
1: Full portfolio, I own those partners, and I'm across all solution areas, all industries, everything. Like I'm their point of contact, right, um, for partner marketing.
0: And why is that your favorite?
1: It's my favorite because, um, and I will say this, I think when you look at segment wise, if you're an SMB, that that type of structure is not necessary because SMB is always going to be scale, okay. right? When you go up market more into the enterprise space, you know, I'm talking GSIs or enterprise um, systems integrators, you know the the business gets more complex, and the the size of the companies get bigger. Hmm. So you really can't achieve as much when you're scratching the surface. Like you need to go deeper, right? You need to form those relationships across their practice areas, their marketing teams, and that's where you can really drive a lot of impact. Okay. And it makes it easier for the partner too, right? Because they know like, all right, like this person is my dedicated go-to. You know, I know I can go, because partners don't like a lot of change, especially once they've built those relationships. When you get pulled away, they're like, wait, what happened here? You know, I'm getting somebody new. Who is this person gonna be? And so when you're able to build that trust and that depth of the relationship, it takes time, you know? And so I have just found that, you know, having that dedicated portfolio has is, is been great.
0: No, I get it because, you know, I think about my own experience here at Foundry, which used to be IDG. We used to. I mean, when I, when I came here back in 2010, I was at TechTarget prior to that. I came into IDG. There was a rep. There were three reps for CIO. You had, you had the events rep, you had a digital rep, and you had an integrated rep. Okay. And then you had three reps for Computer World, three reps for Network World, and you just went down the line. Yeah. So you could be like Microsoft working with dozens of IDG reps depending on what do you want to do in the portfolio. Right. Right. And then, you know, we've obviously come a long way from that now. It's, you know, your are Microsoft. You have one dedicated rep. Yeah. We have a bunch of subject matter experts we can bring in, whether it's an events expert, an intent expert, and so forth. But. Mm-hmm. You have one person driving the portfolio relationship. And that's right. it's one person you can call when you have a problem, you need something. Because same thing for us. This is a relationship-driven industry advertising. Yeah. Right? And I've been working with the same people for years. So it's very similar to the partner side. It's interesting. It is. So, so I agree with you on that. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. So in the sales play, you could have multiple partner marketing managers if you're a big partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. Yeah.
1: yeah. Because, listen, that one partner can be across all the solution areas. So then you have, you know, multiple partner marketers that might be engaging, which on the positive note, it does open up the partner to building more relationships, but it also kind of takes away, remember when we talked about being that filter a little bit, Yeah. (laughs) kind of removes that filter. So the partner Hmm. could get, you know, inundated with a lot, but there's, there's, there's pros and cons. I was going to ask, like devil's advocate
0: is the pro that you're dealing with people that are very knowledgeable, but that one particular area. Right. And they go deep.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. And that's so, a challenge
0: we run into is like, you got to be an inch deep and a mile wide right, on the
1: portfolio. Right, right, right. So, so there's, there's pros and cons to both. Yeah.
0: yeah. But
1: I just, you know, I have my favorites, I guess, <laughs> my favorite way of doing things.
0: Well, I mean, you know, I think the theme of this conversation has really been relationships. And, yeah. you know, it makes sense that, that you lean towards that because you can drive a lot of value through a relationship, you know, and if you have to pass somebody off and they really want to work with you, that, that can also be really frustrating to the partner. Okay. Yeah. So, all right, switch gears a little bit. Um, We obviously walked you through the Foundry and Needham office here. Um, Nobody here. (laughs) We're still, by and large, work from home. By the way, there were a couple people here earlier. (laughs) My boss is probably watching. There were people in the office. Uh, But, you know, we're still navigating this return to office stuff, Mm. right? And I know, you know, some of your big competitors have forced people back in the office. And I think Microsoft is still when people work from home mm-hmm. you know you personally you know what does what does work from home mean to you
1: flexibility you know i i think you know first of all i think self care is really really important i think you know traditionally years ago when you had to be in the office you, you know uh, a lot of organizations i know would build gyms
0: right I remember
1: the startup that I worked for had a full blown, I think they had a yoga studio too, which is pretty cool. Never took advantage of it because I was (laughs) always busy working. (laughs) Um, But I think, you know, for me personally speaking, it's afforded me more time to just self care, right? Whether that's, you know, exercise, um, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, being able to do uh, maybe like more. Just self-care things, right? Like, whatever it can be, whatever it is that you find that is um, good for you, that relaxes you um, and just helps you personally. Uh, and it's also afforded me more time with my daughter, too, right? Um, it's really hard. You know, you're a working mom. Um, How old is she? She's almost four. Four. And and so that's also been really great, is that I have that flexibility of, hey, I can run to daycare and pick her up. Yeah. Or, um you know, all that. But look, here's the thing. Here's the reality. I, I do miss my team, though. Like, yeah. I absolutely miss my colleagues. And I, I cannot wait for the day that we actually have an off-site, in-person off-site. I feel like I'm going to spend, like, one full day just hugging everybody. <laughs> like, I'm just going to be walking around hugging everyone because yeah. it's like, I haven't seen you in years, right? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's not, even though we're on teams all the time, It's just it's just different. Yeah. It's just different. Yeah.
0: So do you do you like pop into the office or is it just 100% at home?
1: I, I pop in once in a while. Yeah. But again, it's, I think, kind of what you described, right? It's just not, not a lot of people are there. I love going to partner events at yeah. the Microsoft offices. I love the partners and what they do. They always get a full house in there. So... Um, it's absolutely wonderful going to those and supporting the partners for sure, but it can be, it can be too quiet sometimes, you yeah. know, and the employee yeah. floor.
0: <laughs> I get it. I get it. You know, it's, I, I've also loved the flexibility, you know, and I, I think, you know, it's funny cause I travel around the country and go into these offices and I see a lot of them are just empty. Mm. And I don't know how that's gonna shake out. I think the pendulum's swinging back a little bit. I don't think it's ever gonna go back to what it was. You just, yeah, you know, some some companies will, um, but I don't think by and large, I think it's gonna be really hard to retain and attract good talent if if you're that company because your competitor will just be like, come work for us and we'll give you the flexibility. Right. You know, so I think companies are gonna find some sort of equilibrium. Um, I hope so. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's weird because a lot of the people I've been talking to about this question are people that used to be in the office that are no longer in the office. Mm. And I feel like we all got benefits and learned a lot from that environment. Mm-hmm. And now we're in a different environment, but we benefited from the first environment, Yeah. <laughs> where now you have a whole new generation of marketers and sales that are going straight to work from home. That never learned all the nuances and intricacies and every, every, all the skills that we frankly yeah. learned from being in They never in the office. learned
1: what it's, what it's like to have a salesperson just walk right up to you and say, <laughs> I need a marketing event. Yeah, I know. I know the holidays are next month, but it, I need. I need a marketing event. I do because that's going to help me close my sales. And so those are all really treasured memories. That I have. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Know.
0: So I don't. I don't know how that's going to shape the next generation. I. I don't. It's going to be interesting to see.
1: Yeah, it will so, be.
0: Speaking about the next generation, I, I've been asking the last couple of guests about AI. Okay. So Gen AI. I mean, obviously Microsoft's doing a lot around Gen AI. Incredible but, stuff. But technology aside, but you personally in, in your role, like are, are you using Gen AI? Do you think you'll be using more of it? Like what are your thoughts on oh, that? Oh,
1: absolutely. I've used Chat GPT at work already. Yeah. Listen, as a marketer, when you have a pack schedule and then you gotta write it, you know, you have to write some type of a promotional email or um, you know, I can go into Chat GPT now and I'm like, put in a few bullets and like ChatGPT. Help me write this uh, email to my field sellers. Make it fun. Make it exciting, whatever. And and what's so cool about it is if you don't like the first response, you just hit regenerate, and it just keeps <laughs> yeah,
0: <I laughs> keeps,
1: it. It keeps giving you more options. So, yeah, I mean, I've definitely used it. I love it. Helps you with writer's block for sure. But I will say this. It's, it's not an end-all, be-all, right? I think people have this misconception of, like, you know, hey, I'm just going to go to chat GPT and it's just going to do it all for me. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. You, you, it'll help you. It'll help kind of get you out of your writer's block, if you will. Yeah. Or whatever you're working on. It kind of gives you that kind of boost, right? But then you have to go put your own voice and your own touch to it. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So. No,
0: I agree. That's kind of how I've been using it. It's like, I'll, I'll write something up. It sounds like a fourteen-year-old wrote (laughs) it. It'll make sound nice, but then I go back in and add my personal touch to it, right? And so I think it's helped. It's helped take me to the next level, Um, you know. But I'm still learning. You know, I think for us, like at a sales organization, like we 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 put our sales cadences into it, right? So we have all Mm -hmm. this email copy, like. Is this effective? Is this, you know, how does this compare to, you know, what professionals are writing? And we're just balancing ideas off of it. But I think to your point, like, you got to put the work in. Oh, totally. First.
1: Yes, absolutely. I agree with you. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Well, Ani, this has been a lot of fun, but I have one more question for you. Okay. What is one piece of advice you'd like to leave for the road?
1: So my piece of advice is something that we can both take professionally and personally. and. Uh, as we were talking right before we started shooting, right, um, that wisdom comes at a cost.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: It's not, it's not always comfortable to become wise, right? And so the piece of advice I would leave is to remind folks that they always have a choice, right? I think a lot of times in life, whether it comes to your career or personal things, you feel stuck, Right? Not that you are stuck, but Mm -hmm. you feel stuck, and there's a difference there. I think our mind always tries to be overprotective, right? And can come up with a million scenarios of why something can't happen or something's not possible, but it's just untrue, right? You always have a choice. It may be a hard choice you have to make, might be an easy one you have to make, but nonetheless, the choice is yours. So that's what I would leave everyone with. And I always remind myself of that. Um, You know, And I said, like, regardless, whether it's been my career, decisions I've had to make in my career or my personal life, and it's always propelled me forward, right? It's pushed me through some of my uncomfortable situations, right? And I've always come out better on the other end. So don't forget, you always have a
0: choice. The choice is yours.
1: (laughs) The choice is yours. (laughs) Well, cheers so
0: much. Oh,
1: cheers to you. Thanks for joining us on the road. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening and make sure to subscribe because on my next episode, I have CIO and market expert, John Gallant. Cheers. And I'll see you on the road.
1: This podcast has been brought to you by IDG
0: Communications Incorporated, doing business as Foundry. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent those
1: of Foundry or the participants' companies.